Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. My love for science and solving problems came from childhood. I was the student who would not leave a math problem unsolved. I won regional science fairs all the way from elementary school and onward. And so asking questions about the way the world turns, essentially, I like to think of it as like my purpose in life. That's Kizmikia Corbett. She likes to go by Kizzy. She's the lead scientist for coronavirus vaccine research at the National Institutes of Health. It became clear to me that for every single thing that I've read in a textbook about science, someone had to discover that. And I wanted to be one of those people. That for a line in a textbook, which hopefully MRNA 1273 will be at some point, there's someone who discovered that thing and helped to drive that theory forward. And so it's, it's just a love of discovery. Corbett is only 34 years old. But already her unstoppable curiosity has led her to some pretty significant scientific discoveries. She is the top scientist behind Moderna's new mRNA vaccine, which was submitted to the FDA last week and is expected to receive emergency use authorization as soon as next week. On today's podcast, I talk to Corbett about her life, her research, and the exciting potential of this new vaccine. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta. CNN's chief medical correspondent. And this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. My next guest is the lead researcher into trying to develop a coronavirus vaccine at the National Institute of Health. Joining me now is Kizmikia Corbett. Back with us also is Dr. Sanjay Gupta, who uh, I, I know is going to be asking you questions as well, doctor. Anderson Cooper and I spoke to Corbett back in April. That's when the pandemic was still relatively new in the United States and a vaccine seemed like a far-off dream. I, I know, I'm sure you get this question from anybody you meet who finds out what you do. Any idea when a vaccine, assuming that this vaccine works, when it might be available for, for use? Yeah, so, you know, we are targeting fall for the emergency use. Um, so that would be, you know, for healthcare workers and people who might be in constant contact um, and, and, and risk of being exposed over and over. And then for the general population, our target goal is for um, next spring. And that is if all things go well and if these phase one, phase two and phase three clinical trials work simultaneously for the good, our plan is to have people vaccinated all over the world by next spring. I got to tell you, back in April, I was surprised by her confidence that we'd get a coronavirus vaccine this year. Keep in mind, it typically takes years to develop a vaccine. So I was curious why Corbett was so confident. Well, you know, there was a lot of faith in those initial statements, but then also a lot of science. The HIV field, for example, has made a vast amount of developments over the last 40 years without there being a vaccine. And the work that the HIV field has done has in some part actually benefited the work that we've done in coronaviruses. 
And so we understood the surface molecule, the spike of a coronavirus in so much intricate detail. And we had such a good understanding of how to deliver that spike protein via mRNA that um, we were fairly confident that we would be very quick to getting to a phase one, which we did. But then from there, that we would be able to, in a very consorted, multi-institutional way, whether it be from the side of the companies, for example, with Moderna, us at the National Institutes of Health, FDA, et cetera, work together to fuel this vaccine development trajectory really out of necessity and also science. I want to ask a little bit, and I will tell you that I've been channeling you when trying to describe how this vaccine works, because that is a that is a a big question, and and I think a very very reasonable question, because we're talking about sort of a first here for humans outside of a clinical trial. mRNA vaccine, messenger RNA vaccine, involves uh, genetic material. Can you just simply describe how a vaccine like this works? Yeah, so I like to use the analogy of a telephone, essentially. So imagine your cell being a telephone and imagine the vaccine being a voice. And the mRNA is telling your cell to make a protein from the coronavirus, only the protein, the spike protein. It's like calling up the cell and saying like, hello, cell, can you please make this protein? And so that the cell can make the spike protein and the body can make an immune response to it. And so that's how I try to describe it. It's very interesting. I think people sort of generally know, like, you know, going back to the late 1700s, when you think about smallpox vaccine, that if you give the body uh, a little bit of the virus or you give some deadened virus or weakened virus, that you can hopefully achieve the same sort of immune response without making somebody sick. In this case, it sounds like you're turning the body into a vaccine-making machine for both. It's, it's generating, in this case, a portion of the virus, the antigen, and then it's generating an antibody response to that. When, when people hear mRNA and they hear that this is a vaccine that involves genetic material— and that's immediately going to, going to frighten some people. How do you reassure people? So what I try to do is I just try to explain to people that just by way of the way that these mRNAs are designed and the way that the cell, cells are designed to even work with mRNA in general, that the message doesn't stay in your body forever. The message does not get integrated into your human DNA. And so... While the immune response that you get is hopefully long-lasting, the initial effects of what's being expressed by this mRNA in your body is very short-lived. So we're not, you know, making you into a superhuman machine or anything like that, but only simpling for a very short period of time, telling the cells to please help me build an immune response against this virus. When you look at these two front-runner vaccines, um, again, uh, Pfizer and Moderna, both mRNA vaccines, let's say, you know, it, it comes my turn to get this. When that decision time comes, should I take one over the other? No, you should not. Is there a difference? 
There is no real difference between the two vaccines. Um, the vaccine schedule might be slightly different, but largely the protein that is being expressed uh, in the platform that is being used, which is messenger RNA, is the same. I mean, the efficacy results are, they are head and head and, and compare and are similar. And so, you know, I get a lot of people who say to me, oh my God, like I want to take Moderna's vaccine. I'm only going to take Moderna's vaccine. Um, and I truly appreciate the support. <laughs> but... <laughs> That, 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 that's a compliment to you. But if the FDA deems a vaccine safe and allows for licensure of a vaccine in the United States, you should be taking it if you have the opportunity to take it when it's your turn, whether it be Pfizer or Moderna or um, several other companies who may even likely have uh, vaccines to deliver by next spring or the end of next year. I want people to really, really understand that from where you sit in a pandemic where this virus is running rampant and one person is dying every single minute in this country, you should not be vetting vaccines on the level of should I take this one versus should I take that one? You should allow the FDA to do that. Obviously, in full discernment, you should totally be aware of the data, et cetera, but you should allow the FDA to do that. And you should say, if the FDA said that this is safe and they've reviewed this vaccine and with stringent measures, because all of them are reviewed by the same stringent measures, that I would take it. You, you know where some of this, this distrust is coming from. I mean, absolutely. Look, this is the same FDA that did emergency use authorize hydroxychloroquine. And there wasn't really good data to support that. And, and some have argued that that was a actually a bad decision because people may have been harmed by giving using this medication when they were particularly ill with COVID-19. So that's where some of the distrust is coming from. How, I mean, is that is that unreasonable? Yeah, I, I think distrust is never unreasonable. I, I think that it is on the onus of the institutions to be trustworthy. So I, I don't think that distrust is ever unreasonable um, when you are a citizen and you are concerned about your health, for sure. What I can say is that emergency use authorization is still experimental. It's still an experimental phase. These emergency use authorizations are simply asking the FDA, with what we have right now, can this product be used in the most vulnerable of populations while we continue to gather data that would allow us to license it for everyone. You look at the polling data right now in terms of people's willingness to get a vaccine. What would you say to those skeptics, those anti-vaxxers or at least vaccine-hesitant people? And what about the skeptics within the Black community specifically? It is most certainly an issue. And I, I wake up oftentimes on social media to, you know, people who are vaccine-hesitant with lots of questions and concerns. And um, I think that what I would say to people who are vaccine hesitant is that you've earned the right to ask the questions that you have around these vaccines and this vaccine development process. And this overarching mistrust of the medical institution in general is something that is being highlighted now 
because of the dire circumstances of which we're in. But it is not news to me because I'm black and I, you know, I have a black family and I am well read on the history of injustice when it comes to medicine in the black community. And so one of the things that I've had to step out of this and say is that we're not going to be able to prove trustworthiness in this instance quickly, and that is okay. But what we do need to do is decide that we're going to take the steps and even beyond this pandemic, move in the direction to be more trustworthy. And the reason why I say we, and the reason why I say trustworthy, instead of using the terminology they or distrust, is because the first step is that as scientists and physicians and vaccine developers and et cetera, is to understand that the onus of this problem is not on them and their distrust, it is on us and our level of trustworthiness. And so trust, especially when it has been stripped from people, has to be rebuilt in a brick by brick fashion. And so what I say to people, firstly, is that I empathize. And then secondly, is that I'm going to do my part in laying those bricks. And I think that if everyone on our side um, as physicians and scientists went about it that way, then the trust would start to be rebuilt. That's a, a really great way to put it. It is interesting to me that if people start from a focus of distrust, then the level of evidence that they require to, to be convinced just grows, right? You know, another thing that you were tweeting about early on was something, again, that you were prophetic about. And it's it's this disproportionate impact that this pandemic has had on Blacks, Hispanics, Native Americans. I mean, name the metric, uh, whichever one, and it's worse. Four times more likely to be hospitalized, for example. That was according to CDC data between March and November. It's pretty grim. How did it affect your feelings overall at the time and about your work going forward? It definitely increased what I feel like my duties in in this vaccine response are, because I do feel a level of being indebted to my community around not only just getting this right, but proving my salt. (laughs) Um, I want that what I am producing scientifically to benefit everyone, but I want to particularly be able to say it at least equally benefits my community. My good friend is a viral evolutionary biologist. And I remember early on, one of the things that he said to me is that viruses don't have brains, but viruses are built to pick up on societal infrastructure that wasn't built with brains. So basically the holes in our society, that's what viruses like SARS-CoV-2 thrive on. And one of those holes, unfortunately, are health disparities. And that's basically what is being highlighted, I think, throughout this pandemic is that longstanding health disparities are still apparent and that viruses like this are just going to pick up on those until we do something about it. And so for me, it is certainly something that keeps me up at night, so to speak, 
And it is my hope that as we continue to highlight health disparities, every time there's an epidemic, whether it have been HIV or COVID-19, that we start to fundamentally try to change some things. The pressure that you describe, we're in the midst of, you know, the worst public health disaster in 100 years. You're working on a team that could help fundamentally address that through a vaccine. You wanted to get it right, obviously. How, how do you describe that pressure? I felt like there was no room for mistakes, um, which was difficult because science, mistakes are actually part of the beauty of it. Um, not necessarily, you know, tons of mistakes, but you learn a lot from things that don't necessarily always go right with experiments. But in this case, we only had the bandwidth to learn from things that were going to go right. Otherwise, you lost time and people died. And so that pressure, you know, I could feel myself tensing up just by hearing an email ding, especially if it came at, you know, three o'clock in the morning or something like that. But the tears that I shed when the efficacy results came out were largely a sigh of relief. <laughs> I was just so happy that there was finally light at the end of the tunnel. You get the call Monday morning, that Monday morning, hearing that this vaccine is 94% efficacious when the efficacy results from the Pfizer vaccine were first announced, the Moderna ones were announced shortly after that. What does that mean, 94% efficacious, first of all? 94% uh, efficacious toward what exactly? What was it that the trial was actually trying to prove or study as its primary sort of goal or primary endpoint? The primary goal of these phase three clinical trials is to assess how efficacious or effective these vaccines are at preventing COVID-19 disease. So what that means is that when you hear 94.1% effective, it means that there is a 94.1% less risk of getting COVID-19 disease if you're vaccinated as opposed to if you are not vaccinated. And that's calculated comparing vaccinees in the trial versus people who got salt water or placebo. And then to have upwards 90, 95% efficacy was astonishing to me. Uh, I don't think that I could have ever even dreamt of that level of efficacy. Everyone was hoping for like 80%, like that would be great, awesome. But like, had it been in the 70s or we would, you know, start to really think about second generation candidates in a, in a real way <laughs> um, and basically restart the process. And so, yeah, just a sigh of relief to see those efficacy results to the level of which they were. Yeah. No, I mean, it's 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 amazing. And, and I'm so glad people get to hear your voice and, and also the background because it's it is inspiring. You know, people, I think, just often wonder what are these teams of people who are helping create these vehicles out of this pandemic? What are they really like? What is Dr. Corbett really like? I mean, how busy has it been? I mean, has this been around the clock? I mean, I feel like I'm working as hard as I ever have. This is like my chief year of surgical residency. And part of it, as you well know, it's not just the work, it's the headspace. But when you're not working on this, what is your life like lately? You know, I, I absolutely do understand this. Um, and I actually saw someone on Twitter ask you what you're going to do when the pandemic is over. 
And he simply retweeted, you're going to take a nap. And I retweeted it (laughs) because I I feel the same way. I'm going to take a nap. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's very fair. You deserve one. Okay, if you think I'm starstruck, you're right. Because Mikia Corbett is a science superstar, and her research has been instrumental in the development of the Moderna vaccine, a vaccine which could potentially save lives and also change the future of medicine. I do believe her work will be written about, not only in science textbooks, but in history books as well. The new year is just around the corner. What are your hopes and dreams for the post-pandemic future? Once this virus is in the rearview mirror, what's the first thing you want to do? Maybe it's something you miss doing or something that you're planning that's special. Big or small, silly or serious, we want to hear your plans. Record your thoughts as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might even include them in an upcoming episode. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.